we look at the life that God intends us to live around certain big topics of today. And this is following Vaughan Roberts' book that we're reading in our life groups. Today, that topic is God's big design for the earth or for the world, or that is everything that God has created in this universe. So what is God's heart for how we treat all of this creation? Well, our faith in Jesus has significant meaning in all of these things and how we protect and develop our planet and all of creation. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father God, come now and still our hearts and quiet our minds. Help us to, to, to look um, at your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might understand it and see what your heart's desire is for us as your church and as individuals and how we, we look after this planet and this creation that you've given us, Lord. Guide us now, we pray in your name. Amen. So thinking about how we develop and protect um, things reminded me of my childhood holidays to northeast England and northern France to the wide, expansive, sandy beaches there, which were prime real estate for construction, construction of sandcastles. And me and my brother, we would make rivaling castles next to each other, trying to make the biggest and most beautiful castle. Or maybe we would try and make these, I really like these ones, these were like cars that we would like sit in with massive windscreens in front and a dashboard of controls in front of us. And we would prepare them, we would finely tune them, we would comb them and make them just right. And we would sit back and look and think they are good. We were pleased with ourselves about our work. And then came the time of nervousness where we would be sitting, watching our castles, protecting them from the rampaging dog, the stumbling adult, the bewildered and lost child. Any of these things could destroy our handiwork, and, and they wouldn't even notice, probably. They wouldn't even notice. They would just carry on down the beach, but our fine craft work would be ruined until the final event came as the sea gradually advanced and lappingly and inevitably eroded the foundations and destroyed our handiwork. The rest of the beach didn't matter to me, but my castle did. It had value because I had made it. I had created it. I thought it was good, and I wanted to protect it from harm and to perfect it and develop it. So we'll start off by looking at Genesis 1. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 1 or, or an app. So we see here the creation story that God creates the whole universe, the world, the animals, the plants, the land, the sea. He reviews it time after time each day and says, it is good. And finally, in verse 31, he looks at all that he had made, and it was very good. He marks it with his cosmic seal of approval. And just as my sandy creation on the beach pointed back to me, so does all of creation point back to God and glorify him. And as we read in that Psalm 19 there, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And we can see here the psalmist David. 
he sees the beauty of creation. He sees how it's showing God's majesty, his glory, his creativity. And we can see that today, whether that's in the array of reds and orange colors as we look at the sunset, whether it's, whether it's as we look at the dragonfly resting on the plant, or whether it's in the crunching, crisp whiteness of a snow-covered mountain. It's easily, easy to be constantly amazed at creation, from the latest David Attenborough show to looking out across the Irish Sea we can see God's amazing creation every day. And sometimes this compelling wonder of creation can lead humanity throughout history and to this day to so commonly come to worship the created thing instead of the creator. And this has meant that people throughout time have worshipped the sun, they've worshipped the moon, they've worshipped the stars, they've worshipped various animals. They've worshipped various mountains and held them as being sacred or, or buildings that people have made or statues that people have made. And they've said that this is our ultimate thing. This is the thing that we will center our lives around. This is the thing that we will worship. And sometimes it might be that they see it as a divine being. And sometimes it might just be that it's the most important thing in their life. And what the Bible calls this is it calls them idols because they're taking the place that God should have in their lives. Yet the psalmist here in Psalm 19, he is immediately and correctly drawn to praise God, the creator, as he looks at creation. So in verse seven, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise simple. So he sees creation and he's immediately like, God, you, you are so good. Look at that, you are so good. And he continues in verse 14. May these words of my mouth, this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So he sees how wonderful God must be through creation, and how it points to the creator who has revealed himself to his people Israel at the time of the psalm, and later again through Jesus to the whole world. And this leads him to praise God. Your ways are trustworthy. Make my words and my inner being most pleasing to you, God. Look at how marvelous your creation is, my rock and my redeemer. So the world, the universe, all of creation points to God, the creator. It brings him glory and it leads us to him. But then what happens next? So in Genesis 1, we look back to verse 28, where God is speaking to Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God entrusts us as humans to rule over his creation. He sets us above his creation. He gives us authority to subdue nature, to be in charge, and to increase in population, filling the earth. He does not call us to leave things exactly how they are, but he created human beings after his own image. They might carry out his design for all of creation. What we see next is how humanity turns from God in the fall as Adam and Eve choose their own way above God's, as they fall into sin. And from this point onwards, the consequences of sin enter creation and all of creation falls 
So with humans ruling over the earth, we have seen the consequences of our sinful nature. From nuclear disasters to oil spills, contaminated water supplies, poisoning whole populations of people, species extinction, loss of biodiversity, air pollution, to the global challenge of climate change. That's to name but a few. Yet we've also seen the human race, that they've made amazing things out of God's creation and used God's created order to, to bring about scientific developments from modern medicines and technologies to safer food supplies to this microphone that I'm speaking through. God's creation and his created order has allowed us as images in Christ to develop these amazing things which have brought much better quality of life and longer life and safer conditions for so many people. And it's amazing how over the past 200 years our society is changing so much with this. Humanity has continued to subdue, multiply and rule over creation for better and for worse throughout history. And in the Old Testament, God had given the Israelites the law and this set out both protections for animals, for land, allowing them both to rest and replenish whilst responsibly using creation for our benefit. Yet responsible and careful use of the earth is not the end. Jesus will redeem all things when he comes again, both ourselves as Christians, but also all of creation. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits eagerly in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. So Paul here in Romans talks about creation waiting in frustration, groaning in pain, as, it, as if it is in childbirth, that constant cycles of pain and decay. And when I think of the earth groaning, I think of a destructive power of the earthquake rumbling, the wildfire consuming all around it and the animals fleeing. And then there is this long list of what we as humans have done to damage the world. Yet just as what we go through now for us as human suffering will be compared to our future glory as Christians trusting in Jesus, so will creation also be freed from all of this decay. Jesus' grace, Jesus' renewal will come to the whole earth and there will be no more decay, no more cancer for any of us, no more pain, no more weeping. Both for creation and humans, redemption and restoration will come because Jesus will restore all things. So we live in a creative world which points towards and brings glory to God, 
The world was ruled over and is ruled over by humans, but we brought in sin, which led to corruption of creation. The human race has used and explored God's creation to bring about great developments for humanity, but has also led to damage, while climate now on the brink of disaster. But we know that Jesus will make all things new when he comes again. So some might say, well, Jesus is going to redeem all things, so it doesn't matter what we do to the world. Yet if we say on one hand that creation, this world, this universe glorifies and praises God, how can we in the same breath say that caring for it and good stewardship of a planet is is not needed, that it doesn't matter? God has let us use his creation for our benefit, but we see through the Bible that he cares for every aspect of a planet, whether it's the birds or the animals, and how the beauty of the landscape and the skies show his majesty. This restoration and this parallel of going from brokenness to restoration draws a parallel to us as Christians. Paul says, we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies and we too are inwardly groaning. So both Christians and the earth are awaiting God to make them new. And Paul says two chapters earlier in Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So Paul is saying we as people are awaiting full redemption, but we're called to live lives which are dead to sin and alive to God. And he goes on in verse 13 of Romans 6. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So Paul here is showing how God's heart for us to be people who are living under God's grace. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from the consequences of divine judgment over our mistakes. And therefore, we should live lives that reflect our new identity in Jesus. So now, do we see the link between God's grace and renewal to us and God's grace and renewal to the world, but also how we are now acting on Jesus' behalf. We are children of God, called to carry out God's will and his desire. And he has set us up as stewards and kings over this world to look after it. And this world and this earth and this universe are God's handiwork. It's his creation. It's his masterpiece. For just as I labored on that sandy beach, make it my masterpiece, even then knowing the tide would sweep it away, I even then still wanted to protect it and cared for it because it was my created design work. So now we are those living by God's grace and we are called to glorify him and find our ultimate satisfaction in God. Part of this and what we do is how we interact and appreciate all of God's creation. So in all that we do, 
we recognize that this is God's creation, which has its value set by him. And he has set us above that. This brings meaning to so much, to so many things, but also gives us a responsibility to be good custodians and rulers over this planet that we're on. We do not long for the healing and restoration on earth, of earth to be any greater, just as we do not wish to continue sinning so that Jesus' forgiveness of us can be any greater. So we as a human species are facing massive challenges right now. It could define our planet for generations and generations to come. The biggest one being climate change, but other problems are close to hand, the damage of air pollution, forever chemicals in our, in our, in our, in our world, biodiversity loss, and all these things have implications and far-reaching challenges that we are yet to, to fully overcome. And sometimes a list of ecological disasters that are pending on us can seem overwhelming. It can seem like whatever we do it is never enough. Or sometimes that what we thought was good and might help turns out to be bad for the environment. It can seem like such a burden as we see how our world must change to prevent multiple ecological disasters. And again, it draws me back to this parallel of us with our sin, like our salvations and ourselves. So as with redemption and salvation for the planet, so it is for us. Ultimately, our own work, our own human work, will never fully restore us and bring us up to God's level. It's not our human activity and our human hope that we trust in. That's not where our hope lies. Our hope lies in Jesus and the restoration and the grace that he will bring. Yet we have a clear call to honor God in all that we do, to turn from sin, to turn from, from harming God's, God's, God's creation that he has made. And we are called to run a race of perseverance and to be good stewards, good shepherds of all that he has given us to look after. And this is a responsibility which God has given to us as we care for and develop his created masterpiece. So we can all play our part in looking after the planet, our local environment, from the big picture things like reducing our carbon footprint to what companies we invest our money in, to the petitions we sign and the letters we write to politicians, to the amount of meat we eat, to the how wasteful we are day to day with items and food and whatever it might be. And we all have different patterns to our life and different activity and things that we do. And we all have different priorities to deal with. But we are Christ's hands and feet in this world. We need to show that in how we look after this planet. So let us go out living grace-empowered, Jesus-trusting lives, which show that amazing grace which God has given to us, so that when we see the magnificent beauty and order of creation, the magnitude and the gravity and the, the awe that we see when we look up at the skies and think that our creator God is even bigger and even greater than all that we see. We are then drawn like the psalmist to say, your ways are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb.
By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and redeemer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus,